Hi, Greg Perry, the historic preservationist. Welcome to episode 351. Um, back to early uh, materials, early craftsmanship. Um, just a, uh, uh, a nice little episode here on building a candle stand with a sliding dovetail. So the, uh, the basic candle stand consists of six parts. And uh, this, uh, just want to add, this is similar to the table uh, we're calling it the Biden table that I'm making right now. So you have a column, you have the, the legs, and you have the top, and you have an anchor point. So, and so some of these tables, you actually have a spider underneath. But uh, three legs, a pedestal, and a top, and it's supporting block. The stand that I make is in the Queen Anne style. Uh, the cabriole legs, meaning they're shaped like the leg of a leaping goat, and a lathe turned classically vase-shaped pedestal or column. The construction between the legs and the column is formed by sliding dovetail joints. These joints are a kind of a neat trick. The legs slide up into the column from the bottom in a clever puzzle arrangement that is not too hard to do, but very satisfying, and it really locks the leg in well because all the downforce pressure on the tabletop and the column seems to keep it tight all the time. There's a little bit of a trick to them sometimes when, when, uh, when building. So. so let's talk about riving. So somewhere inside that tree that you're considering is your candle stand. Look at it that way. You see, you see a tree, you see a piece of furniture. You just need to get it out. The largest piece of the stand is, of course, the top and must come from the largest part of the tree. Use the utmost care. Split the largest log halved directly from uh, through the pith. A fro is helpful to keep the split straight, as any misdirected cracks could ruin the top. Split the better half again to yield a somewhat thicker board than you will need. This extra thickness will allow you to plane out the cupping bend of the bark side of the top that will inevitably occur with uh, some of the seasoning that's going to happen. So now thoughtfully rive out the blanks for the legs, column, and block. Again, leaving them larger than the final dimensions. Take care to exclude any pith or dotty sapwood from any of your pieces. Um, bring them a bit closer to the approximate size with a hatchet or draw knife and set them aside for a few days in a very dry weather. Um, the thick column is prone to severe checking so keep an eye on it and move to a more human and move it to a more human environment or you can all actually put some wax on both ends to slow the uh, the loss of moisture out the ends so if problems develop the leg blanks seldom give such trouble so let's talk about turning turning this column uh, and turning the large disc so when turning a large disc like a tabletop uh, of a candle stand on a lathe the usual procedure is to affix the blank to a metal faceplate, which can be directly mounted on the lathe in place of the drive center. This arrangement is somewhat like a horizontal version of a potter's wheel, and it gives you a clear access to the workpiece. The headstock bearings on your treadle lathe are not set up to do this sort of load, however, so we'll do all such turning between centers, first turning the column to its finished shape and then using it as a mandrel to hold the block and top 
in the lathe as they are turned. So one would have to use the same procedure when doing such turnings on a spring pole lathe where the rope wraps around the workplace and provides all the drive. Believe it or not, this works quite well. The column. The column must be of sufficient diameter to contain the joints for the three legs. But beyond that, the design is constrained only by your taste. The use of the lathe already assures a certain symmetry, your eye being the final judge of the boldness or weakness of curve and counter curves. The top cylinder perhaps looks best when it is equal to the diameter of the bottom one. Another mechanical consideration is to leave a straight collar on the bottom cylinder to delineate the upper limit of the leg joints. The collar must be orientated on the lathe with its base to the drive center and not to the other way around for reasons that you will see as we go on in, in this episode. The top of the column must be turned to end in the one inch diameter tenon that will hook the block and that will turn and hold it on the top. Do any spin finishing that you intend to, to do on the column now. While it is still turning true, you may want to wobble if you wait. So, I mean, as this thing dries out, believe it or not, very, very quickly as you're removing wood, uh, the trueness will leave quickly and it will start to wobble. So do any finish sanding or any other finish uh, scraping or cutting that you need to do. So when the column is done to your liking, turn your hand to the block and to the top. On the one inch thick piece riving out for it, you lay out the block with a compass about five inches in diameter. Bore a one inch diameter hole through the center and saw out the circumference as accurately as possible. Set this block out on tenon turned on the column and reset the whole works on the lathe. Scrapers with well-turned legs may be your best choice for flat grain turning required here. Turn the block ever so slightly concave on what will be the upper side. Diminish its thickness to the edges on the underside. So let's talk about the top. The top is not easily done on a foot-powered lathe, except with care and great preparation. Lay out the circle of the top with a compass, cut it out as closely as possible with your saw, and true up any obvious lopsidedness on the two faces with a plane or a draw knife. Now take the block and drill three holes with brass screws that will hold the top. The screw heads must be countersunk into the block, and brass is best if you don't want it to damage any of the turning gouges just in case you miss or slip. So if you don't want to use screws at all, you can join the two pieces with wooden pegs secured with wedges, glue, or both. Center the previously turned blocks as precisely as possible on the point made by the compass center on the underside of the top and fasten it down. Push the assembly onto the tenon at the end of the column. You may need to saw off part of the tenon to get the block to sit tight. Set the whole arrangements back in the lathe and work the face of the top um, about to find its center by trial and error, but you will find it. When it looks right, bring the lathe slowly up to speed. If there are problems with vibration, turn the piece slowly while holding a scribe against it to mark any 
out of round or off center places. These should be removed by saw or shave. For any vibration will absorb a large portion of the energy you will need for the turning. Remember that although the entire assembly, column, block, and top is rotating at the same number of revolutions per minute, the surface speed is much greater at the larger diameters. A light touch is in order. Turn the top with an upturned lip around the edge. Do your finishing while it's still on the lathe and don't wait too long. And then take it all out, trim off the center bump. Let's talk about the legs now. So now for the legs. First bring the blanks to the appropriate thickness by planing one face level and then using a, a marking gauge to parallel thickness the planing of the other side. So the one I did is measuring about one and eighth inches thick. Trace around the leg pattern copied from the photo, a photograph that you've drawn. You'll, you'll need to arrange the pattern on the wood so that the narrowest part of the leg has the greatest run of straight, unbroken grain. Usually you can squeeze the legs out quite closely together in an intermeshing pattern to conserve material. Separate the waist from the outlines of the legs with a, a turning saw, something like an oversized, something like an oversized coping saw. Lacking a turning saw, you can use a coping saw with the coarsest tooth blade you can get your hands on. So set one of the sawn out blanks in the vise and begin shaping and smoothing the upper surface with the spoke shave. You will have to change directions of attack at the knee and the instep of the leg to match the change of the grain. Usually, this causes you to neglect the actual point of change making it for quite the knobby knee, but you will notice and remedy this if it gets too ugly. The sweep of the curves on the upper side of the leg is usually gentle enough to allow you to reach the bottom of any concavity with a normal spoke shave. The underside, which will need trimming too, however, has a very tight inside curve, which is best dealt with by the cross-grain slicing with a gouge. Preferably, an in-channel one with a bevel on the inside of the radius. The underside of the leg need not to be rounded over like the top, but can be left somewhat unfinished. You may wish to, <coughs> to do uh, whatever you want with the edges on the underside. Just break them into a very slight quarter round. The profile of the leg will appear finished to all but someone lying flat on the floor. So let's let's talk about these sliding dovetails now that we need to put on the legs and to get them in, affixed to the columns. The legs attach to the column by means of dovetails that slide. These are no different from more familiar dovetails except that they are long and solitary. I cut the tails on the legs first and then custom cut their mating receptacles on the columns. If you have been careful in dimensioning the stock for the legs, you can lay out the tails very quickly by using cutting and marking gauges set to describe the two dimensions of, of the dovetails. Use a cutting gauge for the long lines and sides of the leg, and you'll have the first step of the most accurate means of sawing the shoulder of the dovetail already behind you. Enlarge the incision to a tilted V by drawing the chisel down the waist side of the line. 
and you have a slot in which to begin the saw cut without tearing any of the grain. Make these saw cuts on both sides of the leg down to the center set of marking gauges scribed on the end grain of the tails. Hold your bench chisel down flat and roll out shavings until you touch both the back edge of the leg and the bottom of the saw cut to make perfect tails. All that remains now is to mate the dovetails on the legs to matching slots on the column. Clamp the column at a convenient angle in the vise with protection around it and sweep the floor beneath it. With a clean floor, you stand a better chance of retrieving any chips that may inadvertently break off and they can be glued back on. If you can't find it, you can always find another piece, modify it, and glue it on. Hold the first leg on the side of the base of the column precisely where it will go and scribe down either side of the dovetail. At the upper limit of where the slot will stop in the column, make a cross-grain saw cut that goes just deep enough to touch these two side lines. Slide a chisel up from the bottom to cut a flat on the column equal in length and width to the back of the dovetail on the leg. Set the top of the dovetail on the bottom and end grain of the column, carefully aligned with the flat and scribe around its outline. Remove the leg and with a straight edge, continue the lines of the narrowest width with the dovetail up the length of the flat of the column. Now, find the auger bit that most closely fits between the two lines. And at the upper limit of where the slot will go, bore down to the depth that the dovetail will reach. This hole will provide the stopping and clearance for the work to follow. Starting at the bottom, saw down the angle of the lines of the slot as best you can. A short hacksaw will do best. Now, with a narrow chisel, slide along and split out as much of that waste wood as you can. A bevel-sided paring chisel will help, and you can clean up all the sides and the bottom. The undercut top and the end of the slot is an odd reach that calls for an odd chisel called a skew former. A well-made skew is a useful tool to have, but if one is not immediately at hand, you can grind a substitute from a bit or saw blade or an old chisel or do the job with the point of your jackknife. Keep checking and trying to fit until the leg slides up and stops with a click. The first leg can be set in any point on the circumference. Once it is in, you can eyeball the thirds and continue the process until all the legs are tightly fit in place. Any error that will be noticed in the finished piece is likely to be in the vertical arrangement of the legs rather than in the gauging equal thirds. There is no reason not to glue the legs into place unless you just don't want to. If the fit is snug enough that they just won't come loose with their own accord, you can leave them unglued and slide your dovetails in at will, in and out, as you wish. If you've never made fine furniture before, these candle stands are an excellent place to start. They look good, they're easy and useful, and can make them from a tree with a story behind it. Remember that the old tree that used to stand over there by and tell the story. Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist, signing out. Thanks for listening.